If Cork's plan A breaks down, the plan B doesn't work at all. So Limerick have Cork's plan A down to a T. They can neutralise that and then Cork's plan B is just not working because they don't seem to have one. Subscribe to the Hurling Pod feed on the OTB Sports app now. The Football Show on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more. Live on Sky Sports. I'm prepared to end it I can. Well, do it then. Again. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should there be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Now then, football show, Champions League evening. It is Manchester City 2, Real Madrid 1, 47 minutes on the clock. Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent is here in studio. Daniel, hello. Joe, how are you? So a lightning start for Manchester City this evening. Kevin De Bruyne on two minutes. Amarez cross, De Bruyne with the header. Perfect start, 1-0. Nine minutes later, Gabriel Jesus playing through the middle as a centre forward. This evening scored a second. We may be on for a Manchester City third here. Maris is in. Hits the post. Hits the upright back to Foden. And oh. it's cleared off the line. Well, oh. does this, I see you, you, all, you were on air. So I'm not sure if you would have caught this. But there was a really significant moment at 2-0 in this game. Which is like a sliding doors moment in the tie. If for some reason City don't go out. Where Maris is true on goal. Could square it. I think it's Foden and De Bruyne going mad. And he hits the side netting. And that's the chance to go 3-0 up when you're well on top. And then Benzema gets the goal back and Maris has a chance to make amends as you described there and it's hit the post and it's, it's great defending on the line. Like, oh. City really should be out of sight. I mean, that 3-0 chance was the chance to go out of sight and then, you know, Benzema scores his, his sort of first real sight of goal and you think, is this a significant swing moment? Now, in fairness, City have cut them open again and again. You know, it seems like when Madrid attack, um, City then break a little small bit of pace and they're just finding it. They're finding those sort of 3v2 opportunities or 2v1 all the time. Well, they're such an obviously better team. The only thing that was almost stopping anybody saying, well, City are going to breeze past Real Madrid is the fact that Real Madrid have a unique quality in this tournament. And they've had it for much of the last decade. They've most certainly had it this year against PSG and Chelsea. We're watching the Mares chance again. It was terrible defending. Like yeah, it wasn't a even a sort of an ama- amazing piece of play actually at no, all. It was, it just, was a just a nothing punt up the field which Madrid defender swiped at and missed. Like actually just missed. I mean, you'd see it in Leinster Senior League. No, Mares got a little tip. They did actually get a little touch. Okay. In fairness, he bit of a tip. A but touch. Real Madrid, Madrid defender took a swipe at it when really shouldn't have committed that way with Mares uh, having the potential to get a touch in the ball. And then Maris didn't do much wrong, you know. It was uh, down the right-hand side, opened his body, went for the far corner, hit the upright. Came to Foden pretty quickly. All he could do was really direct it on goal and it was cleared off the line. So it stays 2-1. As Dan mentioned, Benzema on 33 minutes brought Madrid back into it against the run of play. It was a Mendy cross. It was a really brilliant Benzema finish. That's his Mm. 40th goal for Real Madrid this season. 34 right the way through last season. And he's up to 40 already. This season, really extraordinary. I mean, he's been extraordinary. In yeah, pain. yeah. No, he's he just like sort of d- delivering when it matters, you know. Yeah. And that was the classic, classic case in point. Um, but City can only really lose this tie on their heads, really, as much as anything. They even had a spell in the first half of two 0 where they they actually gave away one or two chances, but almost a sort of s- bit of complacency, almost in their own half. And um, they will they will be spooked, I think, if it's two one. At the, or, or one goal difference at the end of this tie you know going away for the second leg definitely that would be the case I think they need for the, to reflect their dominance and to sort of just because they got the job done 
um, in Madrid against uh, Atleti, but in some ways, like they they actually weren't madly impressive. They were impressive in terms of how they dug in, but they actually gave a lot of chances away. So they just need to be careful. Absolutely, I totally agree on two one. They'll be scratching their heads and feeling slightly worried and wondering if there's just something about Real Madrid that can't be uh, discounted. But they're dominating. I mean, they're not spooked uh, right now. They're, they're right at it. Totally like they're on top sort of this game. The tempo they're trying to play at, like as I said, it was only their own complacency in the first half. Three 0 wouldn't have been unfair if Mares had stuck that chance away. No. Um, so we'll see. That is where we are after 51 minutes on the clock. There was a lot of Robbie Keane love on Twitter last night. He was on Monday Night Football with Cara, mm. Dave Jones. Uh, so the big seat. Or the big, it's not even a seat, is it? You stand up sometimes. Do everything in that show. Yeah. Saw Gav Cooney. Uh, see, I didn't get to see this because I was in here. Oh, I, I, I saw most of it, yeah. I saw Gav Cooney even tweeting about how, man, you forget the quality of his highlights reel. So they obviously did a section on Keane and his goals and his finishing. Yeah, they did. Um, I think the best part of it was Keane explaining there was a sort of, they showed a sort of a, a selection of little lobs that he executed and probably the most insightful thing he said and I mean sometimes the most insightful things are the most simple things but I mean they're simple to him and not to you know it's his ability to do it at speed is what sets him apart from others he just pointed out that if you look at all these goals um, the minute he sees a goalkeeper step off the line or take a step towards him he instantly sort of judges this is the time to, to do the lob. Now that doesn't sound remarkable, but it's it's when you watch it in play and it's like a, a ball being fizzed through at pace and he's sort of scanning to see, okay, the keeper's coming. He, he's suddenly started to move. Now is the time I try it. And I mean, okay, it was his goals. Maybe there was times it didn't come off, but there seemed to be a lot of keen goals like that where he was sort of off the shoulder, through on goal and he sort of executes this... Um, little dink you know there's a bit of footage of him when he was playing for Coventry 3-1 oh 3-1 City Phil Foden header Mm. it was coming even after that Maris chance we were describing what had happened and City kept going and kept going and kept going and now they are 3-1 up and really they should push for a fourth here they could put this whole thing to bed they really can yeah no they really can I mean it's this is totally merited scoreline on the basis of it Foden in the first half had won outrageous piece of skill to keep the ball in when it was sent over his head towards the touchline it was one of those anyone else lets it go out for a, a corner or a goal kick he kept it in and in one movement swept it across the six yard box and Jesus hadn't even anticipated he would keep the ball in and if he had it would have been a sort of a, a goal you sort of forget how outrageously good Foden is mm. in the end it was a very simple header it was a fantastic cross from the right hand side and it's Foden on the six yard line not being marked and just uh, heads it low past Courtois and it's 3-1 and sh- you know 52 minutes in the clock they'll be thinking 4-5 and five and let's go to Madrid with this thing dead but they've been all over Madrid this evening <laughs> like you know it's funny it feels inevitable now and, and pretty much you kind of were wary of saying it but they're such a better team than Real Madrid that Yeah well I suppose it ties in with what we'll probably talk to Matt Slater about anyway the yeah. Premier League dominance and I suppose you know Real Madrid all those uh trademark characteristics that Madrid that you referenced they, they used all of those cards to get past Chelsea you yeah. know what I mean but I don't think you can stay, sustain yourself through an entire competition that way No it wasn't a sustainable business model miraculous comeback after miraculous no. comeback so Keane was I saw he was asked about getting jobs and I saw at the end it was ironic Dave Jones was saying is it, is it a disadvantage that you're a big name in football and Yeah he was, you know, he was saying he's very keen to get a job no pun intended and he's out there uh, looking and 
touched on Liverpool as well. Certainly the plan in his head was that it would be Keane and Torres together, but then Jared behind Torres had worked beautifully. Yeah, he arrived I, and, we well, we know that didn't work it, out for him. It's strange, you know, I don't mean this as a, as a criticism, but I, I, I did watch it. I'm not sure if anyone's ever really got a fully insightful Robbie Keane interview. I think there's always a bit of Robbie Keane that's conditioned to hold a bit back when it comes to some of those things you know like he's and I think that's always been a he's been very much one I think that he doesn't really speak out of turn in terms of the dressing room he's, he doesn't really have a oh my god 3-2 oh. there's a they're, they're unbelievable Real Madrid have scored it's 3-2 and it's just the most uh, extraordinarily a- extraordinarily frustrating goal from Pep Guardiola's point of view in that a Real Madrid player has just uh, run about 20, 30 yards yeah, with the ball. I'm sure actually, who actually got the goal. But, um, mm. I'm going to see a replay now. 54 minutes on the clock. Mick outside can check the score for us as well. Didn't see it properly. So, I mean, it's a nothing ball. It's a nothing moment. It's a dummy. And it's such a poor goal for Man City to give away. It's down the Man City right-hand side and Fernandinho seems to have gone in at right back because they're yeah, light, they're light, they're light course, at right yeah. back and obviously uh, Stones Yeah, Vinicius, there. it is Vinicius because yeah, he's been playing there on that side, yeah. Stones yeah. had started there and for whatever reason Fernandinho's on now and it's like, this is the kind of move that doesn't work when your mates do it at Astro and you're, and you're kind of, well, City are on the attack here, this could be another goal. Yeah, so a ball is, a ball's played up the left-hand touchline into Vinicius's feet and he does that thing which I always think is a stupid move where he just lets it through his legs and nine times out of ten it just hits off the defender and nothing comes of it but Fernandinho seemed to buy the dummy and it goes in behind Fernandinho halfway line and Vinicius then just runs the 40 yards to goal and scores mm. and I guess this is what happens when you have a 35 year old centre midfielder playing right back against Vinicius Junior Yeah I, just, I suppose even in, in the games with Liverpool recently and obviously Liverpool are far better than Real Madrid but they have like City have had great spells and then they sort of concede like in a almost out of nothing now you would you would attribute that to sort of Liverpool's ability to just be explosive and do something but um, yeah they're making life complicated for themselves here anyway but sorry to back to Robbie Keane though that um, mm. I think like Robbie's always been very much he never get, he never really gets into variable stuff he would have maybe at times been critical of say FIFA around the time of the Henri thing but when you think that he's left a lot of clubs you know various managers at various times and he's always kept it in check and even with the Liverpool stuff um, I remember one or two interviews where he was somewhat critical of Rafa but really you know it, it did appear like Rafa didn't at the time didn't at the time may have preferred another player didn't get his way, got Keane and probably didn't treat him especially well. But Keane has never really gone there, you know. And I always think he's been quite diplomatic in terms of how he handles these things. He he just has it in him that he doesn't want to get into spats with people in the game, you know. And that's always been... But I, I wonder as part of that, a degree of caution still around the media too. Um, that I, I just don't know. I feel like there's always a Robbie Keane story Um like that I, I'm not sure if he, he would lay everything out in that studio in the way that say Neville and Carragher would but of course they're doing it all the time and they're very comfortable in that domain and 
this is probably where they want to spend the rest of their working life, if you know what I mean. So it's easier for them to do it, whereas maybe he wants to get back in. So he's not going to become a tell-all Robbie Keane, if you know what I mean. From memory, he went there touch on Gary Neville's soccer, botch, soccer box where he recalled either Rafa or somebody on Rafa's behalf uh, wanted to sit down and do video analysis of this rings a bell actually yeah movement yeah with him which of co- actually you're right yeah yeah to which Robbie Keane thought movement do you want to see movement look at my goals the one charge you could not make of Robbie <laughs> no. Keane is movement. he needs a bit of work on his movement okay. yeah. it's, it's like almost his MO uh, well, maybe see, maybe movement. His, his movement was too instinctive as opposed to maybe Rafa wanted a degree of controlled movements you know keep making repeating these movements yes start we want you to make i want you to make predictable movements as a yeah forward. yeah which isn't really his and, his thing and certainly uh, the impression he gave to gary neville in that interview was i found that a bit insulting which is yeah. understandable so he was quite noticeable last night that in the main he's just getting a lot of love on irish twitter and was he yeah i didn't notice that because every time i see something at robbie Keane now he gets a bit of love but then there's a then invariably there's a well, FBI salary comment well I was just going to say because really that has been the cloud around Robbie Keane and his relationship with I suppose Irish football at large for some kind of way of putting it like the most recent story was that a Fine Gael senator uh, Michael Carragy had oh to apologise uh, to Robbie Keane and, and made a full apology for inaccurate and unfair uh, statement Sunday Independent reported at the weekend uh, that Keane solicitors had contacted the Fine Gael a senator seeking an apology and a retraction of the marks, remarks which uh, followed. Uh, but this conversation around the FAI and Robbie Keane's salary and the absence of an official role? Yeah, I mean, it's, this is a... Like, it is a messy one, right? And I think, I think the one thing you can say about this that no one could dispute is that there are no winners in it. Like, it's not a good situation for Robbie Keane. I know people would say, well, it's a great situation. You know, he's getting money and doesn't have a defined role. Are but we saying a reported 250,000 Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's certainly, you know, my understanding. I think it's been sort of put out there that that would be the case. Um, I just think there's an important point to make is that the people in the FEI at the moment who are sort of the key decision makers in the FEI, say at board level and the CEO, Jonathan Hill now, they didn't, this wasn't their decision to award Keane this contract. Um, and they probably made a couple of decisions uh, around 2020, around the same time that they promoted Stephen Kenny into the senior job. Um, the, by, off, by operating off the timestamp aspect of his contract, they said, well, this was laid in place. We're not going to sort of break this contract. And the same principle was probably applied with Keane. And I, around that time, I would have tried to spoke to you know spoke to people in the FAI who said they don't particularly feel Keane had done anything wrong. You know that that he was given a deal. Um, it was badly managed in terms of you know the people that the forward thinking as regards it. But they didn't particularly blame him. Now I know a lot of people would say, well, you know, he doesn't need the money and all of this. But I think at FAI level, what I would say is that I don't think I've ever picked up a sense of from from them of um, sort of being, I don't know, sort of fuming with him. Their, their, their attitude is we inherited a lot of far from ideal situations and we're sort of applying a consistent stance towards it. Um, and, you know, it, but, but it, the thing is, it hasn't ended up playing well for him because in a lot of comments that any story that goes up or anything like that 
um, no matter what detail is offered or explanations are offered, there's people there going, well, at a time when the FBI is is in a bad way, you're getting this money from them. And he would defend that and say, well, I mean, give a lot of money to the game and other causes and stuff like that. Of course. Did he give great service to Ireland for years? Of course he did. Um, but it's just one of those ones where you're, you're fighting a losing battle with the perception of it. Well, Jonathan Hill is on the record as saying... I think it's fair to say the situation around Robbie initially was not of his making. I personally don't yeah. believe the association handled that situation particularly well. Uh, for that, I was happy to apologise to Robbie in our conversation. So I would interpret that as uh, the way in which Robbie Keane was, uh, well, told that there was no place for him involved in the senior setup as of April 2021 Stephen Kenny was appointed and how the communication maybe could have been better so so Hill is saying it yeah they were left in a vacuum that, that day yeah. yeah he was and um, what he said uh, subsequent to all that uh, John Hill this is almost the latest dispatch on Robbie Keane and the FAI and the 250,000 per annum last time we spoke I said I'd agreed with Robbie not to talk about it publicly was what Jonathan Hill said. It's between ourselves and Robbie in relation to his contract. I'd committed to Robbie that any conversation we'd have would be between us. Now, that's very interesting because it's at odds with how the FAI was maybe talking about it in, say, March of 2021. For instance, Neil O'Reardon here in The Sun. This is March of 2021. Uh, The FAI has begun talks with Robbie Keane over his position with Chairman Roy Barrett, admitting he was conscious about staff morale. Ireland's record goal scorer and appearance holder has been on the FAI's payroll, but with no duties to perform for almost a year. The fact that Keane remained as the association's second highest paid employee when he had no role has been a major source of controversy. That was March 2021. And then even May 2021, so a year ago, uh, Paul Rowan, Jonathan Hill is said to be making substantial progress in resolving their standoff with uh, Robbie Keane. That's the FAI standoff. Uh, Roy Barrett, the FAI chairman, said last week, there's an ongoing discussion and dialogue with Robbie and Jonathan and we'll see what comes of that. We should have an outcome in the not too distant future. That is May of last year. And now here we are. And actually the contract, the four year contract has just come to a natural end. So the sense looking in is that actually they tried to have talks last year to reach some resolution, presumably some kind of a, a payoff or... A, or or, I, I, or to know. find a role, you know. He or to find some, a role. He attended some UEFA meetings and, yeah. and did various and, things. And yet, none of that happened and here we are and so the full four-year contract, 250... Yeah, it was... It was well, it, it was the two, no, the 250 tr- was triggered two years into it. It wasn't initially 250. It okay. was triggered. Um, so like, there's, there's layers to it and how it was signed off on and all of this without going down that road. Um, but I think the key, you, you referenced those points. I mean, Gary Owens, I think, was on this show around the time that, that Stephen Kenny's backroom team was confirmed. And I think even around that time, the issue from Keane's side would have been certain things that were said who contacted him on the FEI's behalf because what happened was effectively they hired a couple of people for the same job Stephen Kenny did nothing wrong with this he was told you could pick your own backroom staff but Robbie Keane also had a big contract to effectively be on the backroom staff yeah. you know so that's not a, a good situation um, and as I said like you know there's a lot of things that probably could have been done I suspect that you know if it had been handled better in March 2020 you know, or April 2020 when the kind of thing, you know, you probably could have reached some kind of amicable resolution then. You could look at it and you could you could you could have your own opinions on it and think, you know, was Robbie looking at the situation, particularly when Stephen Kenny was struggling in the early times and wondering, 
well, you know, what's the situation here? He would never say that. I'm sure, if, you know, if you ever put him, of course he would never say that, but anyone in football is reasonably pragmatic and I'm sure Robbie would one day like to be involved and, you know, you might think, would he have looked at the under-21 job at some stage? Would that have been broached? But of course, that was all tied up as well as a deal. So he will probably defend himself against it. But it is one of those stories that, like, there's just... There, there are people now out there who only know one version of the events. You can read the FEI statement saying they apologised and all of this, but some people just see Robbie Keane's getting 250 grand from the FEI who are whatever, 70 million in debt, mm. and that's bad. And that's a hard one to tackle, and it's one that he will is, is going to have to probably address in the future still when he does choose to speak about it. And I'm, I'm sure he'll, have, he'll defend himself sort of robustly when that time comes, but there is that small bit of that thing hanging that he needs to address. Mm. It's uh, still Manchester City 3, Real Madrid 2, 67 minutes on the clock. We're going to take a short break. Matt Slater has been waiting very patiently for us and uh, he's written a very interesting piece in The Athletic about, uh, well, English dominance in this competition. We're going to chat to Matt in just a minute. Welcome back. Joe Malloy here, Dan McDonnell here as well. 70 minutes on the clock. Man City still stroking the ball around and looking very threatening against Real Madrid. They are 3-2 up. We're not quite sure how Madrid are too. But Madrid uh, f- are uh, Man City full value for their three. So 3-2, uh, 20 minutes to go. And you suspect um, if it finishes like this and they're going back to the burnabout, City will get a bad feeling on that yeah, flight and, over. And I must say, Madrid, the last 10 minutes or so, since they've got the goal back to 3-2, they've had one or two moments. Like You sort of sense that that City assurance at the back has been shaken a bit. Yeah. Very good to say, we're joined by Matt Slater, who's written a very interesting piece for The Athletic. Matt, it's great having the show. Have to confess, when we decided, yeah, let's talk to Matt about his piece this evening, we were ever so worried just on the off chance Madrid were 4-0 up this evening. So thankfully that hasn't happened. You and me both, John. <laughs> so I'll let you uh, lead this off. It's a, it's a fantastically detailed piece. You've put a huge amount of work into it. Uh, in effect, we are talking about the English uh, level of dominance, both in Europe and just the uh, sheer strength of the Premier League. And you mention a, a question that's being asked semi-seriously, you say, at the fringes of sports, business summits, club gatherings and confederation meetings. Is the Premier League already the real European Super League? So you might lay out the case for us. Well, I, I, I want to start by saying I'm a reporter. I don't do opinion. So that piece was very carefully written that way. Uh, I don't think English football, the Premier League, is dominating anything. I think it's having a moment. I think football is often cyclical, like lots of sports. Uh, and the evidence would suggest things like the UEFA coefficient, the country coefficient, the English uh, league, the Premier League, is the highest overtook La Liga couple of seasons ago and it's stretching its lead and that is based on the results of all clubs in European club competition and the last couple years two three years have been pretty good for Premier League sides uh, having been not so good relatively speaking for about a decade before that when La Liga had a moment and Bayern for example were very good so there's that um, there are various Metrics. There are various club indexes that use, you know, ways of trying to compare teams from different club, uh, leagues and competitions that are all kind of saying the same thing, that the Premier League sides are good and strong at the moment. There's a lot of depth if you keep going down the league. So there's lots of people pointing out the same thing. And it we probably shouldn't be surprised by this because the Premier League 
for quite some time has had real financial muscle. Ooh, I think we've lost Matt while we're getting Matt back on the line. One of those very, very good players in the uh, Premier League, Bernardo Silva, has just scored an amazing goal to put Manchester City 4 Ref looks to have played a good advantage here, it seems, because there was, I think it was De Bruyne who went down and looked like a very good case for a foul at the edge of the area and the ref either didn't believe it was a foul or he said play on and Madrid sort of stopped for a minute and Bernardo Silva smacks it left-footed into the top corner with Madrid almost a bit shell-shocked for a minute. Um, it's a foul on Zinchenko. Zinchenko, sorry, yeah. God, it's an amazing finish. Yeah, it was Tony Cruz on um, Zinchenko. It was a blatant foul. And you can see uh, as the Camavinga stops, one of the Madrid players stops and uh, Silva runs off him and played a whistle at every level. It's the basic thing, isn't it? He's left a goal and he's about 20 yards out and he just rifles it in at the near post. Like really you would say near post, Courtois there has to do better. Oh, it's poor goalkeeper. I mean, it's an astonishing strike but Courtois, he almost semi-ducks. I honestly think they were a bit spooked by expecting the foul. Mm. The Courtois almost sitting down and not diving for it looks worse on replay in real time it was such a great strike I think he was almost taken by surprise by it because Silva's like got his back to goal back to goal half gets his side to goal and then just rifles it near post so much power maybe Courtois didn't have time to react so now it's 4-2 Man City they're on the attack again so we're due the Real Madrid third goal any minute third goal will come any minute yeah by the way I mean we, we, we're just we're so confused a minute ago with Fernandinho being up against Vinicius Junior so John Stones who was at right back this evening had to go off injured and they had no choice but to put Fernandinho at right back in the European semi-final so for all the talk of Man City's uh, depth their uh, squad isn't what it used to be oh another big chance amazing bit of football Mares. Uh, he beat about two players and then his shot and goal just ran right across the goal line and out for I guess a throw in or just wide City are killing them yeah no they, it's just how easy they, they find it to create chances when they attack it just seems like there's I mean they, we know the type of player that City have like there's sort of great movement between them um, interaction the four areas and even the fact they can swap the squad around they can rotate their options I mean Grealish is part of the celebrations off the pitch tonight yeah. you know um, but it's sort of um I mean, Mares just seems to be finding little pockets and then bursting into space. And it's just more actually, Real at the back just look just a bit cumbersome, really, you know? And they are sort of, they've been pretty easily... They look very average tonight. They look like the Madrid, which people were talking, you know, as in a kind of tired outfit heading in the wrong direction. And who you know just weren't at the absolute elite anymore, and they kept surprising us against Chelsea and PSG. And every time we write them off, as you said, they, yeah. they score. So we've got sort of fourteen more minutes for him to do that. But I mean, anyone watching the games, thinking where's the next goal going to come? Yeah. If you didn't know who the teams were, you just watch this game. Who's going to score next? But like, well, clearly the team in sort of light blue are going to score. Interesting story emerging. We're trying to get Matt back in the line, by the way. Just if you're uh, wondering why, if I let us down, Roy Keane and Hibernian has suddenly come out of nowhere right like a few days almost a week after 
in conversation with Jamie Carragher, Roy Keane almost quietly said, yeah, I, I just don't think I'm ever going to get an offer at this stage. I think it's done. And now, uh, Hibernian, I'm reading here, remain in no rush to appoint a new manager despite Roy Keane's emergence as a contender for the vacancy. Easter Road Club sacked Sean Maloney last Tuesday after just four months and 19 games at the helm uh, with coach David Gray placed in interim charge. It seems, uh, according to reports, Keane interested in the job and has been installed as the new favourite to replace Maloney. What are we hearing about this? Yeah, look, I'm sort of 10 years now covering <laughs> Roy Keane linked with a job stories. I do know? remember one night here we gave him the Sunderland job about a month ago. Yeah, and uh, we, had a, we had a good discussion about it. And I think at that, at that stage, I sort of wrote something along the lines of, well, if it's not now for Roy Keane, it's going to be never, you know, if they want him. And he, he didn't embrace that opportunity. This one, like, I, so as much as I report heavily on Roy Keane, I can be hypocritical, I sort of try and take the approach to not get too immersed in it until you see that something's really happening uh, and sort of chatting to people across the last 24 hours I'm not so sure it seems like there's other candidates in the mix for this and Hibs don't also appear in a rush to make a decision so it's not like the Sunderland one where I'll be honest I was practically looking at flights you know when Sunderland's next game this one seems to have a little bit of road to run on and I'm not so sure there seems to be different vibes coming out of Scotland Okay they like to sack managers in a rush, but not hire them in a rush. Uh, well, yeah, they're on about not hiring someone until the start of next season and stuff. Um, I can well believe it's the type of job that he would go for. I can find it plausible, but they also seem to have a somewhat uh, erratic ownership in terms of decision-making in recent years. I do think that's something Keane is very wary of, because we said it around the time of Sunderland, certainly if he goes in once somewhere else and it doesn't work, that probably is the end of it. Mm. Matt Slater back with us. Hey, Matt. <laughs> I'm sorry, we had a power cut. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Power cut? Gosh. Yeah. Here, oh that's bre- Brexit UK for you. <laughs> All the money's at the Premier League clubs and that's it. I know, yeah. we're running on half power. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we lost you mid-flight okay. there, but uh, in your uh, report, I mean, you detail yeah. so many different metrics. Yes. Uh, which yeah. all point to, I suppose, what we instinctively can see, which is that the Premier League has become this incredible concentration of wealth and talent. Yeah. So, for instance, one of the stats that you mention is that of the top 100 players, and again, this is as measured by uh, a football group in the way you know that you can yeah, measure, yeah. measure these things objectively, but they, they, they gave it their best shot. So, of their top-ranked 100 footballers yeah. in the world, 54 are in the Premier League. Of the top 200 footballers in the world, 94 are in the Premier League. Now, the next best is La Liga with 44 in the top 200. Mm-hmm. So, like, in that respect, which is a pretty good metric, where are the world's best players? Man, the Premier League is absolutely dominating here. Yeah, and, and best managers. I think that's one of the things that's really changed over the last, let's say, five to ten years is that there's this fantastic cohort of managers now. Um, so, you're look, you're right. I think the big six, I didn't, you know, I don't like to use too many cliches, but those sort of clubs have always had good players, great players. Um, I think there was a sense a few years ago that the really, really great players, so basically Messi, Neymar, Ronaldo, those sorts of guys, and also guys that have been in the Premier League, Suarez, Coutinho, were still thinking La Liga, Mm. were still thinking that's where it's at, really. Um, And I think we do have to acknowledge that the Premier League's rise has accompanied sort of on the old seesaw both Real and Barca particularly Barca um, having real financial problems some of it related to the pandemic and I think I was warming up to that in my answer before we had a power cut here that we do have to acknowledge that the Premier League 
I wouldn't say has, has sailed through the pandemic at all, but it has been insulated because of those really good TV deals, um, particularly the overseas TV deals, um, and has, has therefore got stronger. When everyone else was struggling, when everyone else was suffering, the Premier League has has grown relatively stronger. They were the only ones really over the last couple windows, those clubs, and really all of them. That's the other thing. So it's that strength at the bottom. It's those mid-table, these even lower division, lower, lower ranked Premier League sides have all got good players now. Um, so that's it, really. It's a sort of a strength in depth that, that and I, and I, whenever people talk about this, like you always end up annoying people. Uh, oh God, it's all marketing. And yeah, the Premier League's brilliant at, at, at bragging. And and I get all that. I, I've been that person who've made those points. But the Premier League is a well-packaged product. It is the only one that really commands massive number abroad, massive numbers abroad in terms of TV rights. It kind of leads on on, on a variety of metrics, picks or social media following, shirt sales, you name it. And and I, I don't I don't say that to to brag and boast. I I don't follow a Premier League club I they annoy me often um, you know the arrogance of the clubs they are just doing very well at the moment mm. and then for I think for once sort of eventually people around Europe have been sort of waiting for this to happen they've been nervous at times it is just starting to translate to consistent sustained European club success it sure is. Matt, stay with us. Don't touch the power. Dan, right on cue. Yeah, so I mean, as we said, what's going to happen next? It's a Real Madrid goal. It's yeah. 4-3. It's Laporte has been punished for um, it's a, a free kick into the area. And it's one of those where he jumps up to clear it with his head. But his head are, sort of hits off his hand. And um, the, the, the case was made. The referee wasn't for turning in terms of it being, uh, and there was no nothing in his ear telling him not to award the penalty. Uh, and Benzema has sort of done a, a high-class penenka, it must be said. I can't believe he did that. Yeah, he just, <laughs> well, he did it. Oh. And uh, he's lofted it in and it's 4-3 and Pep looking a bit forlorn on the sideline as he uh, digested the fact that they are only one goal up. It's uh, quite Semi-finals, eh? They always, they always mm. deliver. Thank at that stage. Yeah, Matt, there's one thing I was going to ask you, because um, mm. I'm really interested in this whole general subject. And um, you mentioned that it's cyclical, you know, it's a moment and it's cyclical. But with the TV broadcast deals, the international deals that you're referring to there, um, where does this cycle end? Because it does feel like there, there's almost a cementing of status there that I'm wondering... What event could trigger the Premier League losing this status? Because yeah. I mean, this is where all the Super League chat comes from, right? It's yes, the, it does. It's yeah, the yeah. big clubs in in Europe that are jealous for their piece of the pie and all. But yeah. I, I don't I don't see how this ends. You know, within the current uh, the sort of state of play, nothing lasts forever. That, you know, the, the the shock is always around the corner. It's the one you don't see coming. Look, it's a, it's a really good question, and it's come up in the comments, and it's come up in in sort of conversation around the piece. Um, look, certainly for the next few years, uh, I would say the Premier League's position of relative strength is safe and, and, and will probably grow. And that was one of the things that Premier League Chief Executive Richard Masters talked about at a recent sports business conference that was that was held, I think, at the beginning of March. It was a Financial Times event where he was clearly pretty happy with things. There was lots of conversations about how well the overseas TV sales had gone and they had gone well. You know, when everyone is predicting, guys, you're going to be flat at best, the Premier League grew 
mm. is now earning more from international TV sales than domestic ones. Mm. No one else can say that. No one else is close. And he also made this point that if you take the total available pie of money to spend, TV money to spend domestically and internationally on top flight football, the Premier League is getting 45%, best part of 45%. It's grown by about 4%. It was about 40. I think it's sort of 44 and a bit. It's grown. Now that's sort of baked in now for two or three years. Mm. And of course that brings more, you know, the more eyes, everything looks sexier, attractive. You get you get better players. So I think the sponsors like it as well, so commercially come pros. So look, yes, I, the, the question is, you know, what's going to change that? Well, it would be things like, dare I say, it could be a combination of these things, Guardiola and Klopp going off to do something else and the next managers at those two clubs not being quite so good. It could be, you know, Chelsea having a real dip post Abramovich. It could be United continuing to be a bit meh. Uh, it could be... It could be government regulation coming yeah. on the Premier League and forcing them to share more money. That's been one of the life topics here. And the Premier League absolutely hate the idea of that. Um, so there are various sort of shocks. Look, we're going through a big living standards crisis here. If people really start to cancel their Sky subscriptions, look, who knows, right? We, we, we just don't know. But at the moment, it's a combination of those great TV sales, um, the English language, the fact the Premier League's been well marketed for sort of 30 years now. The players are there, the managers are there, they're starting to win things. Um, we've got, you know, this sort of a really good two horse race where some of the other leagues haven't. Um, lots of things going in the Premier League's favour at the moment. Can I see those changing in the next year or two? No, I, I can't. But equally, I, w- I wouldn't want to say, well, that's it. You know, too big to fail. The Premier League's gone because we once upon a time that was Serie A. No one, you know, yeah. these no, nothing lasts forever. That's true. Uh, you make the point as well in the piece. You include the fact that of the world's top twenty most valuable clubs now, eight are yeah. English. And the other thing, which is uh, worth a mention, so you're absolutely right about the well, the the TV rights deal and and global money uh, uh, now larger than domestic TV money. So it's kind of like the de facto league of choice of the world you know it's the world's league that they in some parts of the world for sure yeah. north america asia yeah and so best managers and the other the other interesting thing as well is the development of english players has kept pace with this concentration of talent all congregating on english shores so for instance and and you say well maybe it's to do with the elite player performance plan reforms introduced by the Premier League in 2012 maybe it's just a golden generation although it does feel more structural but either way of the top 200 players in the world 29 are English which is number one so they have the the highest number of players in the world's top 200 and no one has more Spain are second with 26 there are 23 Mm. Brazilians 18 French so 29 English players in the top 200. So, you know, it's, it's not just a case now of uh, uh, plucky, hardworking English players, you know, supporting Dennis Burkamp. This is no. uh, Phil Foden putting in yeah. uh, proper performances against Real Madrid. Yeah, I, I do think I, I should say a few things here. So that, so that stat has come from Nielsen Gracenotes, who have a sort of uh, Euro club index, and they call it, and they also have a a player index as well, which they do with a Dutch company called Hypercube. Mm. Uh, These are reputable companies and you you can argue and moan and go, that just doesn't sound right. I'll be honest with you, 
when they told me that number, it didn't sound quite right to me either. What I would say is that five, ten years ago, clearly England was not producing as many good players as, let's say, our peer group nations, Spain, France, Germany, etc., and would have been way behind somewhere like Brazil, which is an absolute, you know, factory of, of young talent. I think, I think we can say, I think it's too much of a stretch to say anyway, that we are now producing as many um, and that we are comparable. And you can see things like, you know, the, the twin World Cup success under 17, under 20 in 2017. We've had some, you know, reasonable age group movements where we, we, we weren't before. And the 2018 World Cup was pretty good. We went to the final of uh, Euro 2020. And, uh, you know, you can all make, uh, you know, you can all say, well, it wasn't that great. You got hammered by Italy and all that. And I, 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 I don't worry. I do. I get that. Um, I haven't looked at the FIFA rankings, but I'm pretty sure we've been, England have been top five now for three, four years. Like the FIFA rankings aren't that great, but they do mean something Mm. at at least. Here, Matt, 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 you're allowed to say it. England are really good now. England are really good. We're we, 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 England. We're are, I would say really good. England are good. England have been good now for quite a quite a period. Well, I would never have said <laughs> a long time. It's, it's, since it's, there's a there's a there's a sense of you're, you're like you're you're still afraid to go down that road. But isn't it? I am. But isn't I it am. sort of striking how important that was because. The Brexit changes stopped the Premier League clubs from signing players outside, you know, the EU players. They suddenly can't yeah. sign Cesc Fabregas at 16 now. This had a mm. huge impact on football in this country. But now, actually, something that could have created a crisis of some description isn't one because you have so many good young players. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Well, well, look, we will see. Yeah. I mean, they, the Premier League, again, didn't like that idea. The Premier League was actually very remaining. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. For, good, for good reason. Um, I think the, the point I was making about the elite player performance plan, which is very much the Premier League's plan, which is, is very controversial here in England because it, it really did ring fence and exaggerate and exacerbate the advantages of the Premier League clubs at the at the cost of everybody else further down the pyramid. It really enabled Premier League clubs to just hoover up young talent and not have to pay much in terms of compensation. So the clubs with the big academies... So they created this very sort of strict hierarchy of academies just to have this massive built-in advantage now. Now, what the Premier League and the clubs will tell you, oh, yeah, but the standards have been driven up. Better coaching, better nutrition, more sports science, more connected to the first team. And there's been a real spend on facilities. Because of course, that doesn't count in your financial fair play equation. So all these things have sort of happened at once. And again, that, that great foreign manager thing, the example of the great foreign players, the kind of Premier League dream that was sort of spun 10, 15 years ago. Don't worry. I know we're the most cosmopolitan. I know the England manager's only got 35 players to choose from, but they'll be good. They'll be good because the Premier League, the foreign players would have driven the Sunners up. It it has kind of happened. I'm not sure it's kind of happened as they, I don't think, I don't know how bright they are. Maybe they are geniuses. Shouldn't have doubted them. But the current crop of English youngster is the best of, of I've seen in my lifetime yeah. of sort of watching football. No, it's uh, annoyingly good, Matt. It's annoyingly sorry. good. Sorry. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I, we, <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, it's a very interesting time. And I like Dan, I don't see the end in sight. So it's going to be an interesting decade. Oh, of course it will end. Well, okay. eventually, eventually. Or else, yeah. I don't know, maybe it just keeps, keeps, keeps going, the rich get richer. Uh, we are just out of time. So we'll let you go and watch right. uh, Real Madrid's equaliser no in the next uh, moment or two. Matt Slayer, thanks so much.
Yeah, take care. Bye-bye. Matt Slater from The Atlantic there. Peace well worth uh, checking out. It is 4-3 to Man City into added time now.